the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. You witness to people. And there's a hesitancy because they're afraid that if they give their life to Jesus, then he's going to make them miserable because they won't have anything to enjoy. They won't be able to enjoy themselves anymore because everything they enjoy will be taken from. Well, sin will be dealt with. Yeah. But actually, just the opposite is true. Those who lose their lives for the sake of Christ are the ones who really find out what real living is all about. Almost every time I have seen someone come to Christ in saving faith, there has been one common denominator. It starts with reluctance, maybe even dread. The person is afraid that they will lose all sorts of pleasures in life. Then after they take the plunge, so to speak, there is a visible relief, joy, and wonder. It turns out that God changes us into beings who find joy the way He designed us to find it in the first place. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Today, pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff is concluding his series of lessons about the marks of a true disciple. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His expository teaching ministry has expanded to also include these daily radio Bible classes. In our last class, we learned that the true Christ follower is willing to die for Christ. But that doesn't always mean physical death. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us why dying to self is a good thing. You see, in one sense, it is easier to die physically one time and it's over with than to day by day make sure that you are dead in following Christ. See, that's the mark of a true disciple. Understand this, Jesus never presented salvation as believing in him as Savior without a commitment to obey him as Lord. Now, there have been those who have taught that, but the Bible doesn't teach that. He presented salvation as a commitment to obey him and the narrowness of his word, no matter what happens to you. Dr. Stephen Olford, longtime pastor and Bible teacher, used to put it this way. He would say, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Now, I can't say it as dramatically as he did, but he would say that if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Now, this doesn't mean that we have our act totally together and that at every moment of every hour, every area of our lives are always under Christ's control, but it does mean that our devotion to Jesus is such that the deepest and greatest desire of our hearts is for him to rule and reign over us completely. And when we do blow it and when we do see areas of our lives that are not under his control, it grieves us and we repent of our sin and we work on obeying him. We don't just, uh, just kind of fluff it off and say, oh, well, that's the way it is. Now, this type of commitment to Christ is not true in your life. And by that, we mean there's no measure of obedience in your life. None at all. 
then you need to examine your heart about salvation because, folks, I have to tell you, this is the normal Christian life. Jesus wasn't laying down principles here for those who are who have a deeper commitment to him than others. This is not a principle for full-time workers or those who, who say, I'll be a missionary in the world. This is for all of us who know Christ, the mark of being a true follower of his, not a committed follower, but a true follower of his, is to have a devotion to him above everything and everyone. Those are the standards of the New Testament. And let me clarify something for the sake of those Christians who are facing extreme difficulties right now, because it is very common for people when they when they hear of the cross to think that that is a burden in life. And George Ladd, in this quote I mentioned, actually talked about that, but I want to clarify it. We often think that a trial or a burden we have, we say, well, that's, that's my cross in life. Some, for example, might call a difficult marriage their cross to bear. To others, bearing their cross is, is a rebellious child or a serious ongoing illness or, or maybe a difficult employer. What, whatever the hardship is, you'll often hear somebody say, well, that's my cross to bear. Sometimes it's a very serious thing. Sometimes they're even joking about it. But all of us, have experienced suffering and difficulties and burdens, and that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. You shouldn't use it that way. It's not a burden in life. As George Ladd said, it's an instrument of death. The cross is not not a burden. The Bible calls those trials, problems, difficulties, sufferings, hardships. But you know why we know that this isn't what Jesus was talking about? It's because suffering is common to all men. All of us, you don't have to be a believer to suffer. If you're an unbeliever, you suffer. If you're a believer, you suffer. But the bearing of a cross not only was an instrument of death, but it's a path that is deliberately chosen only by following Christ. This is uniquely for believers. Burdens are common to all. So if you have a burden, call it just that. But don't call it bearing your cross. Bearing your cross refers to losing your life in the sense of dying to self and self-will ruling over our lives. And this losing of our lives is something that only true believers experience, as Jesus goes on to explain in verse 39. Notice, he says, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Now, this is, this is really the same truth he's just taught in verse 38, but it's presented in the form of a paradox. Don't, don't stumble over this. It's not that hard to understand, though it looks a little confusing at first glance. But let me explain. First, he said, he who has found his life will lose it, meaning the person who chooses to hold on to this life by living for himself and all that the world has to offer will actually, in the end, lose everything. That's the paradox. As someone said in this context, the keepers are the losers. Once again, I, I want to call your attention to what Jesus said in Matthew 16. This is why I said, keep your place there. Matthew 16, notice verse 25. Jesus said, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever, Jesus said, wishes to save his life will lose. In other words, those who live for themselves And to accumulate things will, in the end, lose everything, including their own soul for all of eternity. Now, there, I want you to know there are many professing Christians who actually fall into this category. And that's why this is such a serious thing to to understand. They may speak about Christ, but it is only talk. There are some people like that. 
They will tell you about how much they love Jesus, and they will talk about him. But the bottom line is they live for themselves. There's no indication in their lives that, that Christ and his word actually impact their lives. That is to say that their faith, their supposed faith, doesn't affect their life at all. They live for themselves. They live for all that this world has to offer. And frankly, they love the world. They love the system of the world. Very serious, very serious, because in 1 John chapter 2, Jesus, through the apostle John, spoke about this. 1 John chapter 2, let me read this to you, verse 15 and following. Jesus said through John, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, notice this, is not in him. It's not in him. If somebody loves this world and the world system, John tells us, Christ is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Listen, those are the things that believers struggle with, but unbelievers don't struggle with it. They love it. That's where they want to be. That's where they are. John said, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And he said, the world is passing away. All the things that you can try to get in this world, yet it's passing away, and all of its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. That, in essence, is what Jesus is saying back in Matthew chapter 10. He said, if you try to gain this world, you'll lose it. You'll just lose it. You live for the world, you live for yourself, you'll lose it. So paradoxically, the person who seeks to find his life by living for himself will actually lose his life because he's an unsaved individual, unconverted. He'll lose it all because when he dies, he goes to hell. He, lo he loses his soul. As I said, in this case, as one Bible teacher put it, the keepers are losers. But the Lord also spoke in the same paradox of another person who loses his life but still keeps it. He said, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Now, how, is, how can this be? This individual is a, is a true disciple because he has lost his life. He's taken up his cross. He's lost his life by giving it up to follow Christ. He's denounced self, even to the point of being willing to give up his physical life as a martyr, if need be. Jesus said that person who's given him his life so that he no longer lives for self and is willing to die for him, that person, Jesus said, will find his life. What does that mean to find your life? You hear people saying, I want to find myself. Well, take him to this verse. This is how you find your life. It means that, that those who know Christ will have an abundant life. Life on earth will be much richer and fuller because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, this is real living. This is, you, you want to find true joy? This is it. You won't find it in, in accumulating things for yourself. You'll be very empty, and in the end, you lose it all anyway. But a person who gives his life to Christ will actually find his life, not only the richness of, this, of life in this world, but when he dies, he will experience all the blessings of glory. Now, you know what? I, as I was studying this, I thought this really addresses a very important point that you often hear people speak of who are hesitant to come to Christ. You witness to people, and there's a hesitancy because they're afraid that if they give their life to Jesus, then he's going to make them miserable. He's going to make them miserable because, miserable because they won't have really they won't have anything to be to enjoy. He won't they won't be able to enjoy themselves anymore because everything they enjoy will be taken from. Well, sin will be dealt with, yeah, 
But actually, just the opposite is, is true. Those who lose their lives for the sake of Christ are the ones who really find out what real living is all about. As Jesus said in John chapter 10, I've come to give life and to give it what? More abundantly. This is abundant living. This is the joy of knowing him. This is the joy of, of expectations of being with him when, when we die. And so in these two brief verses, Jesus has spelled out that all true disciples are marked by a willingness to physically die for Christ. Because why? They've already died to self and following him. So if they take my life, then they take my life. I don't even have to think about that. I, I need God's grace, but I don't have to think. Am I in it for this? Did I really sign up? to? We've already given our lives to him. So they aren't about to deny or renounce him to save their own skin. They will follow him, even if it means following him to death. So is that true of you? Jesus is not saying, do this and you'll go to heaven. That'd be work salvation. He's saying that if you have truly been born again, then this will be true in your life. This is an evidence. This is a mark. True disciples have given up their lives for Christ and are willing to even die for him. So that's what you have to ask yourself. Have, you, have I ever lost my life in following Christ or am I still hanging on to self? Am I still on the throne of my life? Am I still running it? Am I still the Lord and master of my life? If that's the case, then you still need salvation. You need salvation. And in the closing verses of this chapter, Jesus proceeds to explain in very elementary terms. We won't take the time to go into this in much depth. It's not necessary, but we're going to see that he'll tell us how to be saved in very elementary terms. As he tells his disciples that in spite of all the hostility that they will encounter in giving the gospel out, there will be some. And this is an encouragement to you and to me. There will be some who will receive our message, the message of the gospel. Let's read. I want to read to you verses 40 through 42. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Now, what is this talking about? Well, remember how the Lord began chapter 10. Understand the context. He began chapter 10 by instructing his apostles that they were to go into Galilee, their home turf. They were all, except Judas, as we say, Galilean Jews. And they were to go to the, to the various villages and towns of Galilee. And they were to, to go into the homes of the people there, sit down with them, and present the message of the gospel. Notice chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. I remind you of this because I think this is what he's talking about. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, Give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or of that or or that city, shake the dust off your feet. He's telling them, expect that you're going to have some opposition. But now, as Jesus closes his instructions, he does so by explaining that there will be some who will receive their message. There'll be some success stories here. There'll be some who will welcome them, some who will welcome the gospel. And 
he explains it. And, and I want you to notice that there are two words that keep coming up in these verses. And these are the two words that open up our understanding. Jesus repeated several times the word receive. Receive. He also repeated several times the word reward. So what he's talking about is that those who receive what the apostles have to say about Christ will receive a great reward, and that reward is salvation. If you receive the gospel message that they would bring, you'll be saved. Notice, for example, in verse 40, he said that to receive him is to receive the one who sent him. That's God the Father. There is no belief in Christ apart from belief in God the Father. There is no belief in God the Father apart from belief in Christ. Secondly, in verse 41, he said that to receive the apostles, if they receive you as prophets who bring God's message, that's to receive salvation. Anyone who, who would receive an apostle as an official prophet, a representative of Jesus Christ, would be, receive him, would be to receive him and to receive salvation. And in verse 41, he said, he also said that to receive even a righteous man, what does that mean? Well, I take it he means any disciple and not just an official apostle, anyone like us. To receive a righteous man and the message that, that he brings, the gospel, is to receive the reward of salvation and glory. And then, interestingly enough, in verse 42, he says it a different way. He said that to receive even a little one who comes bringing the gospel. I take it that he does not mean literally a small child here. I take it that by little one, the Lord means uh, an ordinary Christian, someone perhaps even despised by the world. If someone who is despised by the world, an ordinary person who has no prestige, but he comes bringing the gospel and you receive the gospel from that person, even though he's hated by, by others, and you receive it and you're kind and you, you demonstrate receptivity, you even give him a cup of cold water, Jesus said, you'll be rewarded with salvation. Not because he gave him a cup of cold water, but that just demonstrates you really have received him. You've received the message because we know you treated him well. See, folks, the point is that salvation comes to those who receive Christ by believing the message that the apostles brought and they would proclaim. What is the message that they proclaimed? The heart of the message is found in chapter 10, verse 7. As you go, he said, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At the heart of our message is that we preach that Jesus Christ is the king who disrobed, if you will, in becoming a man so that he could die on the cross for sinners like us. He was punished in the place of sinners. And those who believe him, believe that message and receive him. And receiving him simply means to trust him, to welcome him, to welcome him as your Savior and Lord. It has nothing to do with, with communion. It has everything to do with trusting him as your Savior and Lord. Those will receive eternal life, forgiveness of sins. If you have received Christ, just like Jesus said, then your life will have been changed. You are willing now to confess him before men. You love him above your family and you are willing to die for him because you've already died for him and giving him your life. If these things are true in your life, then you are a true disciple. You don't need to have any assurance problems. Unbelievers are not like this. But if you are not like this, if you deny him, if you really don't love him more than others, if you don't love him at all, if you're not willing, you've never given him your life, you are not a believer and you need to be saved. I urge you to receive him today. Jesus said in John chapter 1, it says that to as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become 
the children of God. That's how we become Christians. We receive him by trusting that he died on the cross for us. So the Lord calls us to lose our life for him. You know why? Because he lost his life for us. And this morning, it's our privilege to observe the Lord's Supper, which is a reminder that Christ died for us. He who died for us calls us to be willing to die, if necessary, for him. But the Lord's Supper is, a, is to remind us of Christ's death. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. There is nothing mystical about this. There is nothing subjective about this. The elements are simply to remind us of Christ's death for us. This is for only believers. I want you to know that if you're not a believer, then please don't take the elements. No one's going to be looking and checking you out. And it's for believers who are walking as believers. If you're not walking in a manner that's worthy of him, if there's sin in your life that you refuse to deal with, let the cup and, and the bread pass you by unless you repent of those sins or that sin beforehand. Now, let me just encourage you. What does it mean to remember Christ? We remember him, and I think this is just a good, good thing to follow. We remember what Jesus did for us by, first of all, praising him. As you're in your pews this morning, you ought to be praising him for what he did on your behalf. You praise him, you adore him, you thank him. I think it's good, without being morbid about our own sins, to thank him for the coveting sins that he died for, for our covetousness, for our jealousy, for our lust, for our pride, you name it. Christ has paid for it. And, and that ought to evoke praise and thanksgiving. I think also to remember Christ means that we choose to forgive others who have sinned against us. Regardless of what that sin is, it may be just a slight sin, it may be a serious sin. But when we remember the Lord's death, we remember that he died for all of our sins. So how dare we not forgive those who have sinned against us. This is a very wonderful opportunity to make sure your hearts are cleansed and you have forgiven others. It's a time also to humble ourselves because when we remember the cross, we really see what we are. There is no room for pride when you understand the cross. We all deserve the cross. And, and more than that physical death, the cross speaks of Christ having the wrath of God the Father poured out on him. It wasn't just the physical agony of the cross. Many, as we said, many Jewish men died on, on crosses by crucifixion. But while he was on the cross, the Bible says that God the Father turned his back on his own son because he treated Christ not as the precious son of God, but as a sinner. He was our sin bearer. He was our substitute. And the Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us. The moment you trust him, Christ who is perfectly righteous, gives you his righteousness on your account. That's called imputed righteousness. Our sins were imputed to him. His righteousness is imputed to us. So I urge you, as we remember the Lord, to remember these things. Let's pray, and then our leaders will pass out the elements. Lord, we thank you for being so blunt with us as to tell us that one of the marks of being a disciple is to take up our cross and follow you. Lord, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for the work of grace in the hearts of those who know you, and I pray that those who don't know you will recognize that they don't know you. But I thank you, and I pray that each believer will have assurance of their salvation. I pray, Lord, that, that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, 
Help us to really remember you in a way that honors you as we've just spoken. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more than 26 years, Pastor Steve has been teaching at Lakeside, and now Verse by Verse Ministries makes his clear, practical messages available to the listeners of this radio station. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who are first faithful to their own church. When I was a boy, I used to ask my mother if I was going to heaven. She always told me that I would if I was good enough. She meant well, but that terrified me because I had no way of knowing if I was good enough. I have since learned that that is not at all what the Bible says. It's great to know that there are marks that identify genuine Christians. We can look at our lives and see evidence that we are truly saved. On the other hand, if we don't see these indicators, we have the opportunity to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. If you would like to review this series, you can do so at our website, versebyverseradio.org. The audio files are available for listening online or for download. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was part of a two-part message. To hear the entire message, you can order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.